Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Bipolar Disorder Moment. My name is Alan Cooper. Today is the third reading from my yet-to-be-published book, Brain Betrayal, The Alan They Never Met. The readings I will be doing in this episode will include moments from my childhood, when I was going to elementary school, and some moments with my maternal grandmother. And these two pieces that I'll be reading will give you a good sense of my reactions to authority, especially later in life. And this actually, it goes right up into how my first manic episode is triggered and my reaction to it. So these scenes from elementary school, my time when I'm at elementary school, go a long way in explaining how I developed in terms of my personality and my relationship to my maternal grandmother was very special to me and I hope what I have written has done that justice. So let's get started. Chapter 2 Elementary School Star Wars A source of great joy in my childhood was Star Wars. It was such an exciting movie, and the special effects were so unbelievable and innovative. I was seven years old when my father took me to the Grand Theatre in downtown Calgary. The big marquee sign announced the movie to the long line of people. My friends had told me that it was an amazing movie. We sat close to the back with our big bag of popcorn, watching the text run down the screen, explaining the background of the story while the dramatic Star Wars theme music filled the theater. I couldn't read fast enough to take in this part, explaining the plot, but that did not deter from my enjoyment of the movie. After seeing the movie, I was hyper when we left the theater. I loved how Luke had found the Force that gave him the power to be acrobatic and control people and objects with his mind. I loved the buzzing sound the neon-colored lightsabers made as they cut through the air as dueling foes swung them at each other. When the weapons collided, an electrical explosion of sparks splashed across the screen. Star Wars became our game. Holding imaginary lightsabers in our hands, my friends and I would emulate their actions and sounds as we pretended to strike and slash each other with the imaginary swords. I had a Boba Fett poster that I'd colored on my wall. I loved Boba Fett. Even though he played only a small part in the movie, the state of the sci-fi armor made him look like he had survived many battles. He looked tough. He was quiet like me, but he stood up straight with his blaster held up at his chest. 
I wanted to be like Boba Fett. He seemed strong despite going through battles. The next section. A class clown is born. Imagine being in kindergarten for 12 years straight. That was what school was like for me. To endure the torture of boredom, I taught myself to never look at the clock and daydream most of the day. Occasionally, we would learn something that piqued my interest, but I was disappointed that the textbook had a small amount of finite information for me to learn. I think if the internet existed when I was in school, that would have fueled my passion for learning. My parents were not actively involved in our education. My dad often bragged about how smart and successful he was, even though he wasn't a very disciplined student. All of the brothers in the boarding school would be sleeping and I'd be in the bathroom learning everything I needed to know the day before the test, he'd say. When I got home from school, no one asked me how my day was or told me I needed to do my homework. I would grab a bag of chips and sit down in front of the TV. In grade five, a well-meaning teacher contributed to my defiant attitude that did not serve me well in life. He had a rule that all children must sit up straight in the classroom. Because I was not engaged in the class, I was often slouching. I found my own thoughts more interesting than anything we were discussing in class. I wondered why God brought me into existence, even though I suffered with loneliness and felt disconnected from my world. I wondered if God would explain this to me when I went to heaven. I wondered why killing was a sin, but going to war was admirable. I wondered why greed was a sin, yet our society was fueled by it. I wondered why, when kids got punched in the playground, they didn't turn the other cheek like Jesus told us to. Alan, you're slouching again, Mr. Jones yelled at me. Sorry, sir, I said, my face turning red with embarrassment. I've talked to you too many times about this. Go move your horse five steps back. All the other kids stared at me wide-eyed as I crossed the classroom with my head down. All the students' names were written vertically down the left side of a board where the start of parallel strings ran down the length of it. Each string had a horse attached to it, and you got to move your horse ahead if you did something in class that was especially positive. The student who got their horse across the board first received a Polaroid picture with the Student of the Week medal around their neck. Horses only went back for egregious violations of classroom rules. I went up to my little plastic brown horse trying to keep my hand from shaking and dislodged it so that I could move it back five holes. The classroom was dead quiet. Mr. Jones waited until I sat down. He stood there for a moment looking at me with a hint of sadness in his eyes. He clearly didn't think moving the horse 
was going to be so devastating for me. The next day, my friend Tom came up to me with his mouth stretched into a big grin. He had so many freckles that you could barely see a hint of his fair skin. You're getting in trouble a lot lately, he said. He seemed impressed with my courageous, rebellious behavior. I received more attention from other students, which motivated me to break more rules, make jokes or talk to my friends in class. I hardened inside so that the scolding I received from the teachers did not bother me. In grade six, my teacher, Miss Harris, became so frustrated with how much I was disturbing the class that she put a cardboard enclosure around my desk. One day, when this did not prevent me from walking outside the enclosure to talk to other students, she sent me out of the main area of the classroom to sit behind a wall where we put all of our boots and jackets. I started to cry. I had reached a breaking point. Miss Harris came to talk to me. Ellen, what's wrong? She said. I just can't, I said, while shaking my head. I started to sob again, burying my face in my hands. Miss Harris put her hand on my shoulder. Finally, I took a deep breath and said, I come here and all the teachers are always mad at me and when I go home, my parents are always mad at me. I closed my eyes and continued to cry. After listening to me sob for a couple of minutes, she said, Okay, okay, that would be hard. I tell you what, I'm going to ask the teachers to be a little easier on you, okay? I was so shocked. Compassion. I was not expecting that at all. It felt so good. I stopped crying. Are you ready to join the rest of the class now? She asked. I nodded, wiping the tears off my face. Okay, let's go, she said, offering her hand to help me get up, and I went back to my desk. I will never forget Miss Harris. I had never experienced that level of empathy before that day. The experience of this level of kindness and acceptance, despite my behavior, warmed my heart, and I longed to have more of it in my life. That's the end of chapter two. So now we'll move on to chapter three. I really hope I did justice to my descriptions of my grandmother in this chapter. Um, she was very dear to me. If you know me, you know that. Because <laughs> I, I still talk about her a great deal, even though she passed many years ago. Okay, here we go. Chapter 3. You're too skinny, but Nana loves you anyway. My Nana. Nana's love was unconditional, and I always felt at home at her place. Nana would often tell a story about how when I was a small boy, I used to announce to my family that I was going to stay at her place. He'd take his PJs and tuck them under his arm, she'd say, while sticking her elbow out like a chicken wing and pretending to tuck garments under. Then he'd say, I'm going to Nana's, and she would march across the room like a soldier, 
laughing so hard that she needed a Kleenex to wipe the tears from her face. This one-woman performance consisted of two sentences and some gestures. That was it. Nanner was direct, honest, disciplined, and never wasted an extra word on any statement. If Nanner loved you, there was no doubting it. If she thought you were too skinny, too fat, too ugly, or too beautiful, she would tell you. This was a trait that some liked and some didn't for obvious reasons. I loved her for it because when she said she loved me, I believed it 100%. She was completely genuine. Digging Potatoes Hello, I have a job for you, Nana said. Get the shovel. It's time to dig up the potatoes. Down in the basement, the cement floor felt cold on my feet. I grabbed the shovel and met Nanner out by the garden, defined by an aged white fence. The air was crisp, and my hands were slightly numb because of the cold. Hello, right here, Nana said. I stuck the shovel into the dirt and stomped on it. Being small, I could not generate a significant amount of force when I stepped down on the shovel. Good, Nanner said, even though the dirt hardly had a dent in it. Again, she encouraged. I jumped up and stomped down on the shovel with both feet. This time, the shovel cut the earth. Spurred on by Nanner's encouragement, I finally dug down to the root of the plant. My goodness, so many, Nanner said, as she dug through the dirt with her hands. Eight? Are there more? Let's see. I would continue to dig, and the more we found, the more we celebrated. Finding more potatoes in each plant was equally exciting as my favorite hockey team scoring a goal. Pizza I loved Nanner's pizza. One of the most precious moments I shared with her was being the sous chef when she made pizza for me. Hello, let's go get the ingredients. Yes, she said ingredients, not ingredients. We walked to the local Safeway, meandering around the store, and filled our buggy with a Heinz ketchup bottle, a hunk of cheddar cheese, pepperoni, green peppers, and a tube of frozen bread dough. Then we went to a big bin of peanuts in their shells, and Nanner picked up a big metal scoop and began to push the peanuts around. Hello, find the roasted ones, she said. This always made me anxious, because all the peanuts looked like they were the same to me. Bus, she said in Urdu. When she was finally satisfied, we had enough of the truly roasted peanuts, and we went home. We put all the ingredients in the fridge except the frozen bread dough, and she said, let's take rest. Nana would lie down on one couch, and I would lie down on the other. I would lie there, soaking in the love that surrounded Nana and her home. After resting, I rolled out the dough while Nanner chopped up the ingredients and peeled and sliced the potatoes 
for homemade fries. Nanner would put the finishing touches on the flat mass of dough I had formed into a perfect circle. She spread Heinz ketchup with a tiny knife, carefully spreading it until she was satisfied. Once the toppings were added, she put it in the oven. While she deep fried the fries, Nanner would share her wisdom with me. Allo, first you find your tree, then you build your nest. Then you bring your bird, she said. I wish I had listened to this piece of advice about building a solid career and buying a home before getting married. Nana timed the preparation of the meal perfectly so the food would be hot. Once baked, the pizza was popped onto a cutting board and cut into huge slices. She put one piece on a plate with hot fries on the side. I sat at the table with Nana beside me and we said grace. You know you don't wait for Nana. You start, she would say, and then she would disappear back in the kitchen. I bit into the pizza and it tasted like heaven. The fries were crispy and hot. Nana came back out of the kitchen and asked me how it was and I nodded my head up and down with a big smile as I chopped through the pepperoni cheese, and crust that had just the right of crispiness to it. Nana put the back of her hand on my cheek and said, You like it? And she would be beaming. I felt so safe, secure, and happy. So, those are the two chapters I'm for today. I hope you enjoyed them. My grandmother returns to my story later on after my first manic episode so this chapter is actually very important for to understand like I've said a couple times now what comes later so once again thank you for listening if you'd like to learn more about me or some of the other things I've written please check out my blog bipolarweekly.com um, you can also follow me on twitter at Alan G. Cooper. Instagram, I'm A. Cooper Writes. And also, I have a Facebook group titled The Bipolar Disorder Moment. If you'd like to comment or ask questions or anything you like, you can do it there as well. So, once again, thank you for listening. This has been another Bipolar Disorder Moment. <laughs>